Hello everybody and welcome back to Dragon's Demise. I'm Greg B. It's very good to be back. Uh, and joining me today is Jacob. Hello. And we're going to be revisiting a very old review mm-hmm. of Mysterium. Uh, this is something that Jacob reviewed on the podcast before I even joined. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to do a throwback Monday? Is that a thing? Well, I guess now it does. Yeah, all right. Throwback Monday, uh, and we're going to review Mysterium today. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so we actually just got done with two rounds of uh, The Pyramid's Deadline. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was my first time ever playing. And, uh, I mean, it's it's an oink game. So, you yeah. know, tiny box, simple premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, felt very similar to the other oink games that I played, Deep Sea Adventure and Startup, in that it's very much that... Okay, we're going. We're go. Oh my god! Okay, the game's over. Like that's that's really just where we we ended up on that one. So. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I think that especially it seems in that way very similar to Deep Sea Adventures mm-hmm. because another thing that this game has that Deep Sea Adventure does too is that you could end the game without a winner, and you can end the game without anyone having any points. Yeah, you can end the game without anyone being able to legally score. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that all is definitely also pretty similar to Deep Sea Adventure, but this one is much more of like, you know, you're trying to make sure that your pyramid has all the peaks and it doesn't have any kind of like places that the Pharaoh's children can fall off of, that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, I, th- I think it's a, it's a pretty good game. I, I, do, I do enjoy it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's more, in comparing it to Deep Sea Adventure, I think it's more personally focused yeah i mean there's yeah. opportunities to uh to sort of screw someone out of a victory by ending the game prematurely but it is much more focused on you're trying to do your pyramid effectively and efficiently yeah as opposed to deep sea adventure which is much more trying to game out okay how far are they going to go how far you know that's mm-hmm. all those sorts of considerations this is much more personally focused yeah though the mechanic that ends the game is still very much a communal mechanic because you have the uh, red squares and a certain number of them per uh, based on the number of players that you have or once you've placed all of those the game ends immediately right so it's a similar kind of thing where it's you're very strategically choosing to end the game or not to end the game mm-hmm um so that is a very important thing as well yeah one thing sort of just to note i mean we did play a two-player game yeah and this this, so this was my first time playing but not yours and you Mm -hmm. said previously you had mostly played like four and five player games yeah which i can imagine would be very very different because Mm -hmm. in a two or three player game because of the way the dice are allocated each player gets more than one opportunity to select a piece in a single round. Yep. Uh, so you have a lot more leeway in terms of what you're able to access, the types of parts you're able to build with. And so for that reason, I think you said my pyramid, the first game, was the biggest pyramid you'd ever seen. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think that's just, that just comes down to the number of players. Yeah, exactly. And, and also just the fact that um, it's in a way like I shoehorned myself into a bad spot that first game. You did. Uh, so I couldn't keep taking anything, and then you would you would have just been able to keep going until uh, you rolled like three reds on one turn, or like you know multiple turns of rolling of having to take at least one red kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So uh, I think a two player game definitely has that consideration too, because if you say your pyramid is done, then the other person can just keep going. Yeah, you almost have to go, you have to declare that you're out on a round where it is guaranteed that the game will be ending. 
because otherwise you're just giving a person, you know, the only other opponent basically free run of the table. Exactly, exactly. Um, but overall, I think it was a lot of fun. Uh, definitely look forward to playing that with maybe a few more people next time, playing it alongside uh, some of the other Oink games. They're really fun. I, just, yeah. I really like them. They're fun and colorful and, and super well-designed. So it's a fun, We can have a fun Oink night of just like all, all yeah. the Oink games and playing them uh, at you know different times. Yeah, definitely. I have also been playing some games. I just got back from being out of town, saw some family, and saw some friends, and I got to introduce new friends to Spirit Island. Of course, of course. my favorite activity, teaching Spirit Island. Yep. And that was great. Obviously, I, I love doing that. I played like three or four games with one particular friend, and they were playing mostly Lightning, mm-hmm. but also some Ocean's Hungry Grasp. And nice. so just playing around with some of the mechanics and and drowning invaders and playing around with the slow phase fast phase things they they got it very quickly i mean drowning invaders is always fun it's it's super great it's very rewarding um but so that was cool played a couple of rounds of castles of mad king ludwig some nice. dominion classic throwback yeah. there uh fantasy realms always a favorite with my parents in particular they love that game mm-hmm. and then uh when i got back to town i actually was able to join our friend marty yeah and some of our other friends in playing a game called fire in the lake mm. which yeah, is yeah. um it's another coin series game counterinsurgency uh series game similar to a distant plane which mm-hmm. we discussed before except this one is set in vietnam okay so it's it's different obviously i mean it's a different conflict there's different things going on and there's different the way that they model the different aspects of it is very i mean i don't i don't know much about military history but from what i understand very accurate very true to life you've got you know the u.s military is much stronger mm-hmm, mm-hmm. objectively speaking they their capabilities are much higher because you know back in the 70s the u.s was much more willing to deploy a sort of unrestricted force but also, you know, your opponents are stronger. The North Vietnamese Army and the Viet Cong are much different than yeah. the Taliban and the warlords in, in a distant plane. So it's just a different... I think our general consensus was that we liked it better. Um, things were a little bit more easy to get a hand on, okay. I guess, just in terms of the relationships between... you've got, So you basically got the U.S. government and then... Arvin, the the something armed republic of vietnam I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it stands for but basically the government forces yeah and then the insurgents are the Viet Cong and the nva um and their the relationships between them are just easier to tease out okay than some yeah. other relationships between factions in a distant plane which just made for a game that was much more not easy by any stretch of the imagination but everybody sort of knew what their lane was a little bit better Interesting. I, I see. That's one of the things that I felt about um, a distant plane that I liked. That it wasn't that you were, your claim was uh, your lane was very clear. Mm-hmm. I liked the fact that you know things were constantly in flux about who you're helping and how you're helping them and and who you're allying with and the fact that there is such a hard shift almost like yeah, around mid game uh, of like how the alliances are working and how things are starting to move. And that's one of the things that I liked. And it, is it much more, are objectives much more aligned in this one? No, they're definitely not more aligned. Uh, it's just that it's much, 
I don't know, it's it's such a complex game, it's so hard to almost get your head around. But it, it just felt more like everybody knew what everybody was capable of okay, and what everybody needed to do. Whereas before, uh, comparing this to a distant plane, it really felt like there were points where people thought that you thought X was the only path to a victory for the Afghan government or what have mm-hmm. you. And then it turned out that, Oh wait, we, you know, we're going to pull the rug out from under you and there's going to be this entirely other path to victory. And then suddenly everything is upended. And in this it's much, it felt much more, okay, I know what you're capable of. And I know that you are probably going to betray me because that's likely to benefit you. But I, I have full awareness of that going in. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, maybe that could just be our experience as players, because all of us were people who had played a distant plane. We maybe knew a little bit better what to expect going into this yeah. this particular yeah, yeah, game, because yeah. it is it is from the same franchise. It's from the same brand. So maybe we just sort of knew what to be on the lookout for. It's possible. And it yeah. could be worth revisiting a distant plane, actually. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, because that's definitely one of the things. I mean, as much as distant plane, these kinds of games, especially based on what you told me about uh, this, it's like... They take a long ass time. They do. We played the medium length scenario and it was eight hours, give or take, maybe closer to nine. So this was this was a day. Like this was an entire weekend day. Yeah. So I mean like they take a while and uh, I think that the the intrigue between them and the fact that the, in, the, the they're very balanced is actually one of the things that I like the most about it and like the fact that like you know even once you like you never really fully betray anyone. Mm-hmm. You're you're always still have certain things that you will be willing to work together on, because even if it is something that like you know, for example, I'm just thinking right now with like the uh, warlords, like yeah, I don't want uh, the Americans and like the or I don't want the the government of uh, of Afghanistan to really have that huge of a hold on everything because I want the hold on that. But at the same time, I will still work with them in order to get rid of the insurgents. Right. So, I mean, it's always that kind of thing where it's like that balance is, I think what makes the game and the fact that it can fluctuate where it's like, you know, this turn, yeah, I'm going to screw you over, but next turn I'm going to help you out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I think it's to the game's, credit and to the game designers credit uh that they do such a good job of capturing what a quagmire each of these situations oh, is sure. you know you've just got these diplomatic considerations and and military considerations and everybody's working at cross purposes and i think again based on my limited understanding of the subject matter they do a really respectable job of modeling that in a game which is not an easy task oh for sure yeah so that that's really interesting. I mean, I think that game. Looking forward to hearing more about it. Maybe like you know, sometime this year when we have some time to sit down and play <laughs> a game for a full eight hours again, that that would be an interesting one to pull out. Uh, I mean, we still have Twilight Imperium uh, three to play at some point. We do, we do. We owe him a game of that. Yeah, but yeah, no, that's 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 really cool. It's interesting to hear about uh, that because I didn't realize that there. How many of those there were like there is this other one mm-hmm. and i think the vietnam war conflict is definitely a fascinating one. Oh yeah and it's it's that's another thing is that 
the friend whose house we were playing at, he put on, uh, there's a documentary produced by Ken Burns, I think, about the conflict. And that was sort of just playing at a low volume in the background. It's fucked up. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and I knew, like, I'm going to get really weird and philosophical here for a minute. I knew that, like, war is hell and everybody talks about all that. But, like, Jesus, dude. Yeah. Like, it's just a fucked up conflict. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. so <laughs> I was going to ask, actually, how does the game treat the whole um, civilian casualties issue? It is. So this actually, this came up. Uh, this is an opportunity to mention there are capability cards, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember from a distant plane. They're basically, instead of being one-off events, they're cards that either side can claim yeah. and to you know have a permanent impact on the game. Mm-hmm. And in the mid-length scenario, you're starting in 1968 instead of 1964. So okay. you're already entering the middle of the war. There are some capability cards already in play. Yeah. One of which was search and destroy Mm -hmm. um, which was a u.s capability but it had been given to the Viet Cong in opposition of the u.s forces which was anytime the u.s assaults in a province which is not a city and not a line of control or a line of uh communication i think they're called okay anytime the u.s assaults in a province shift public opinion there one level towards opposition because you you basically just have casualties caught in the crossfire, which makes it I again it's it almost feels terrible to sort of reduce these things to gameplay concepts, but it makes it incredibly difficult as the U.S. player to go into non cities in any sort of significant military capability, yeah, or capacity, just because you know that you need support and going in and rooting out the Viet Cong or the NVA is going to reduce your support. So it's, you know, it's a very damned if you do, damned if you don't type yeah. of situation. So, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely there and there are those sort of historical conflicts and pain points mm-hmm. uh, represented in the game mechanically. So. All right. Well, that's really fascinating. Yeah, and on that that downer of a note, uh, that's that's a look at what we've been playing lately. Thanks for sticking with us. I have given you a clue to my murder. Okay, okay, it's coming into focus. I see there's a cactus, there's penguins. Oh, a salt shaker. Salt shaker, it's got to be the cook. What? No, no, no. I mean, the uh, penguins. It's a penguin suit. And that's Mysterium, more or less, anyway. Yeah. Mysterium is a deduction game for two to seven players in which one player is a ghost who has been murdered, and they are trying to communicate via sort of surreal dreamscapes Mm -hmm. with some investigators who have come to the house, who murdered them, with what, and where. Exactly. And it's pretty simple. The gameplay is comprised of all of the investigators sitting around a table, the ghost not being able to speak, of course, taking the dream cards, which are all crazy surreal illustrations. Like penguins with salt shakers on their backs. Exactly. Or ripping apart pillows for being jealous for not having flight feathers. Yeah, probably. Um, 
and giving these to the investigators who are then supposed to look at the different clues that they're given and make sense of these surreal images in the context of what they're trying to find, whether it's the weapon, the, uh, the location, the person, anything like that. Yep, that's exactly right. So gameplay takes place over seven rounds. Each round, players have, they receive clues and they have an opportunity to guess. They will obviously guess either correctly or incorrectly. If they guess correctly, they move on to the next one. The order is weapon, location, person. And then by the time all the players have successfully guessed their person, if they have successfully guessed their person, the ghost will then randomly select one of those sets, one of those three card sets, Mm -hmm. to be the true identity of their murderer. And they'll have one last opportunity to play a single card representing each the weapon, the location, and the person. Yep. And... Those uh, eagle-eared listeners of our uh, of ours may have realized that uh, we are not talking about the American version of Mysterium here. That's right. We're talking about the Polish version, which is Jacob. Help me out here. Tajemnicze domostwo. Yeah, that which mm-hmm. I totally know how to say. I just you know gave him the mic. Yeah, but the reason that we're doing this is because well, we like it more. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, really. We'll get into some of the reasons later, but the biggest differences are, first off, the order in which you're guessing. Second thing is there's an additional timer element in the the American version. There's also an additional element of having to or wanting to corroborate your your, uh, fellow players. Uh, in their guesses and like, you know, whether or not you think they're right or not, mm-hmm. endorsing them, which will then later on give you additional information at the very end. And yeah, that's pretty much, those are those are the major differences. Yeah, those are the big differences. But for all that, the core gameplay is mostly the same. There's yeah. ghosts, there's investigators, and you're trying to guess the identity of the murderer and the weapon and the place and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. But that's the game. If after seven rounds, the investigators have managed to successfully guess the true identity of the murderer, then they win. And if they haven't, then the ghost uh, continues being angsty and, and causing paranormal disturbances for ever. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. The gameplay can be really, really interesting because first of all, you have a giant deck of these surreal cards They're that so are weird. so strange. But they're great. They're really well illustrated. They're really well painted. Oh, yeah. They have some really interesting imagery. And honestly, they can be used to uh, to present so many different ideas. And one of the biggest things that I love about it is all the details. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, even with the car that we described, like, you know, there's a penguin who is, like, walking towards a cactus with a salt shaker on its back while other penguins are you know, destroying pillows, and there's one that has a snowflake in its hand and uh, is dragging it somewhere, and, and, like, it's on a yellow background, so maybe in the sand, in the desert, and just, like, it's all these different things put together. And that can be used for so many different things. The yeah. salt shaker could be used for the chef. It could be used for the kitchen. It could be, you know, something else. The penguin could be big game hunter if you're using it with animals. It could be, you know, the penguin suit for, for the composer. It could be all these different things. The pillow. You could use the feathers there for the bed. There's something in the bedroom. Like, 
all these different details really make like you know make the game interesting because everyone is going to choose a different detail to think about and different different detail to look at right and that's a big part of the game is that so much of this you know you're using the the decks are large but you're using fundamentally the same components the same cards from game to game but so much of it is going to vary based on the, your ghost you yeah. know it, it's all how they think when they're thinking looking for parallels looking for connections between cards what is it that they're going to focus on is it going to be color is it going to be setting is it going to be contents you know there's no wrong way to give a clue but that also means that there's no real right way to give a clue you kind of just have to you have to know your ghost really is what it comes down to this is so much a game of being able to understand how someone's thoughts are functioning what it is that they're fixating on if you know there's usually patterns to it someone's going to focus pretty consistently on okay this person when they're giving clues tends to give clues based on a detail that they've found that tracks one-to-one with a detail in the location that they're trying to give a clue about and so learning that learning how they think is a big a big part of winning yeah and a lot of people have like their their own strategies and things like that they they like to always employ I mean, one of them is color, like, you know, yeah. matching colors, <coughs> you know, yeah. um, and which is, you know, it's easier on some things than on others. The weapon cards are relatively uncomplicated. You know, it's just a, a single weapon on uh, basically a single color background with the locations and even more so with the people, which is sort of a like a montage yeah, or collage, I guess. Yeah. It's even more difficult to do that, but you can try to pull it off. So it's all just what works for you and what works for everybody else at the table. Yeah, exactly. And and I think one of the really cool things about the game is that you can give, you know, as many as seven clue cards in one round. Yeah. And that's always fun because it's just like, you know, it's like, okay, I don't really have anything that really one-to-one correlates with this. But if I combine this and this and this, like maybe the combination of these could show like this this card. Or it's like, what are the parallels between these two? So, you know, that brings attention to the parallels. Mm-hmm. But then the other aspect of it is that there's almost always going to be course correction. You know, you're going to give a clue and somebody's going to focus on a detail of that clue that you didn't even notice. Like you you were over here thinking about the salt shakers and this person sees the cactus and they're like, oh, it's got to be the, I don't know, the desert or something. Yeah. Uh, and, And you're like, crap, crap, crap. So now they guess, they guess wrong and you have to give them clues. But this is a new opportunity for you because mm-hmm. you can give clues that move them away from the thing that they fixated on before, trying to double down on the connection that you were trying to make the originally because they do get to keep all the dreams that you've given them before. So yeah. you basically well, are painting. They this. have to keep. What? <laughs> you're, um, you're, you're basically constructing this tableau until they get it right. Which can be really hilarious because if you have like three different directions that you're trying to get them through to like, you know, uh, to connect to this one card, the more cards that you give them, the more opportunities they have to find that one detail that is connected between all the different cards. Right. But also the more opportunities and details they have to find something completely unrelated. Exactly. That's what I'm, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely a catch 22 yeah, type it's, situation. It's a double edged sword for sure. But I think one of the major things that I absolutely love about Mysterium is the pretty much just how much of a fun community game it is. Because when you're playing, you pretty much are sitting around this table and helping everybody. 
Like, you yeah. know, one person, like Greg gets his dream, and then everybody immediately is like leaning over the table. It's like, maybe this matches this, maybe this matches this, maybe this matches this. And like, you know, all these different things, this conversation is going, and all the while the ghost is like thinking about like who, who, what to give next, and then give someone else their clues. And like, everybody is just like, you know, running around, like, you know, all right, well, I think that this one would would work really well for this, 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 and this. And then, like, you know, this other person's like, no, that can't be it. Like, you know, it has to be, like, if you look at this detail, it matches with this thing. And the conversation and just, like, the debate that happens within the game is just so much fun. Yeah. Um, And for the ghost, (laughs) it can be extremely frustrating because like one person is going to have that right and then someone else is going to convince them out of it and it inevitably happens in every game at some point but at the same time it's one of the reasons that i love being the ghost because just like i love that puzzle of figuring out how someone else is going to think about things right conversely uh i'm gonna jump into no game is perfect because i actually don't enjoy being the ghost uh there's a lot about the game that is fun but it can be very frustrating it it happens more often than not that you've got one person who just gets stuck um, and everybody else is you know maybe not guessing automatically but you know they'll be on guessing their person and this other person is still just stuck on their weapon or their location and you've given them clue after clue and they're not getting it and they're getting frustrated and you're getting frustrated and other people at the table are trying to help them but they're starting to get frustrated and it just it it kind of can be a downward spiral if you get into that place, mm-hmm. which leads to people not really having fun with the game. I, I do think that that's happened more than a few times when I've played this, which is such a shame. Um, yeah. But it is, I mean, it is a, a pitfall of the design. It, it can definitely be. It's definitely one of those things that, that can happen in the game. I've seen it happen. A lot of times for me, it, it has been counteracted by the fact that everybody's working together because then it's just like everyone decides, you know, oh, it's this one. And then it's like, how is this not this one? And then, like, it's, the ghost is just like, you're not getting it, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, it's all compounded by the fact that the ghost has to be silent the entire time. Right. One of the things that I'm going to bring up is no game is perfect because of the different editions of this game. Mm-hmm. U.S. versus Polish edition or European edition, pretty much, for the most part. And each of them has their own merits, I think. Uh, I think the gameplay in the Polish edition is far superior. Oh, yeah. It's just way simpler. It's simpler. It doesn't have any of the the additional bells and whistles in terms of, like, you know, having to corroborate someone or doing something else like that or not getting all the clues at the end when you're just trying to figure out who the murder is and things like that. These, like, cooperation elements. Yeah, which... And and the timer element, I think, is is one of the most... The things that I dislike the most Mm -hmm. because uh, one of the things that i like the most about mysterium is the fact that you are working together and you're going through this and you're really really working on that like as a group and having those discussions and with this timer element it really almost prevents that from from happening because the last person only literally has 60 seconds to choose their thing yeah so but at the same time the american version has so much nicer like auxiliary components Mm -hmm. like where the polish version like the ghost pretty much just has stacks of the cards for each player 
the American version has like this nice uh, screen, almost like a DM screen that you slot the cards in. Mm-hmm. So it's you, real have, nice. you have it all like nicely organized and the ghost can see them at all times and doesn't have to like, you know, whenever like it, it helps a lot, especially for the ghost, because when you're just looking at the cards and like trying to decide what you're doing and you don't have it in front of you and you've, you're just trying to look at it from memory, you will miss a lot of the details. Yeah. And you will miss like a detail on the one of the other cards. It's just like, oh, why the hell didn't I think of that? Like, why? Of course, they're gonna make they match these two, unlike what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the components there are really nice. Also, just uh, I mean, I like the wooden components in in the Polish edition, but uh, the the plastic crystal balls are really yeah. nice, and and also the uh, the raven mechanic is cool in the American edition. Right. Which allows the ghost to pretty much discard their entire hand and redraw. Yeah, sort of just like a safety valve. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those are really good. It's almost as if I wish that the American components went with the Polish game, and that would have been like the perfect version of Mysterium for me. Right, but then they had to go and add in all these extra mechanics and extra, you know, as you say, bells and whistles. And it's all just extraneous. You know, yeah. the the core, the original Polish game was just very tight and and fun. It was solid to play. And then, you know, the, the American version comes along and adds all these unnecessary extra elements and just bogs things down. Pretty much, pretty much. But all that being said, Greg, what's your rating? I like this game. Even the, you know, I have played the American version before at parties and things. Even that, you know, with the, the added timer with the the endorsement versus uh, you know opposing people's guesses whatever mechanics I, it's still a fun game i i think it it on the balance is enjoyable to play and for that reason i'm going to give it a play it all righty for me this is one of my favorite party games that i've ever played this is one of the games that like you know you can play with up to seven people um you really like it's one of the games that when when someone asks to bring it to the table i will almost never say no and I'm glad. I'm really glad that I have it in in my collection. I'm glad that I even have the one like micro expansion that came out for the Polish version. I ordered that from Portal Games, and uh, for me, this is a 100% a buy it. Well, there you go. That's our review of Mysterium. Before we go, as always, we're going to give a couple of games that we think are similar. That if you like them, you'll enjoy this, and vice versa. Uh, I'm going to start us off with code names. Yep. Very similar in terms of the sort of creative thinking that's required from the clue giver, the kind of creative guesswork yeah. that's required from the guessers. <laughs> the tenuous relationships between the clues and the Right. And the you run cards. into very much the same sort of issues with you're trying to give clues that are uh, relevant but slightly ambitious because you want to, you know, get there either in Mysterium within the time limit or in code names before your opponent yep. gets there so you're you're wanting to be aggressive with your clues but you can't be too aggressive because otherwise you know you're going to you're going to be thinking about something that only you would know or only you would see and so you really have to think about what your clue guessers are going to be able to comprehend so code names very similar code names pictures in particular uh, yep. obviously has the the visual element as well as the um, the guessing element but even just regular code names flexes a lot of the same creative, limited communication muscles as Mysterium. If you don't own code names pictures, for example, uh, a lot of people before that came out even used to use both Dixit and Mysterium cards for code names. Right. Pictures. Yeah, and just kind of combine the two and create this just really delightfully 
surreal. I mean, we keep coming back to that word, but really that's what the cards are. Uh, surreal experience. Yeah, exactly. Another party game that I think um, mimics this type of feel, even though, again, it's a little bit more competitive than uh, than Mysterium itself, where it's not purely co-op, is uh, When I Dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this game is one where there is a card that comes out that shows a word. One person is dreaming, there's a timer, and pretty much half of the people want them to guess the correct word half of them want to guess the wrong word and each each person goes around and tells says one word clues and as soon as the guesser guesses they don't get to know whether or not they're right or wrong they go on to the next card and you go like that until the timer is done and then you you know add up how many correct how many wrong and the based on that people get points hmm. and i i think that it's it's got a very similar feel and similar like almost frustration to it where especially when you are the guesser you know you're blindfolded you're not seeing anything and you're hearing like all these things and like some of them are completely like uh, like the the similar and then you're like oh i bet it's along that vein but then it's just like someone else says something that just like slightly changes your view and you're like oh i got it like this and then everyone at the table just like has a silent groan and like you know all, (laughs) all like the fairies are just like no, they managed to you know go off where it's just like I think there was one when I was playing that um, they were giving me some kind of like you know there were two hints in like for a word um, and then Hunter I think gave me like a wrong hint or something like that and right after his I guessed the right word <laughs> and he was just like how the heck did you do that skills <laughs> yeah exactly I was mind meld right there. But it's a similar kind of like mind meld type gameplay, which really makes Mysterium uh, the great game that it is. There you go. That's our comprehensive review, re-review, I should say, of Mysterium. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. But sure to join us this week when we play on stream a variety game. Hey, we will likely be playing some Mystic Veil, vale, so one of our favorites hitting the tabletop again. And then we have the return of Gloomhaven on Haven, Friday. Haven, Haven, Haven. I'm, I'm a bad echo. It's okay. You were a little bit late. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, so definitely tune in to our YouTube and Twitch channels for that. And now, of course, thank you very much to our patrons who really help keep the show going etc etc uh first off i'd like to thank two of our new patrons we thanked megan and the great worm patrons uh last week but just wanted to give a shout out she did join pretty recently thank you so much for joining we really appreciate it and also our newest patron bethany thank you so much for joining and uh, supporting us on the patreon we really really appreciate it thank you so much i love you <laughs> no, but really, thank you truly from the from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot to know that you all support us. Yes. And with that, let's thank our great worm patrons. We have Casey, Carissa, Hunter, Sam, and Meg. Thank you all for being the awesome people that you are. We really appreciate it. And lastly, don't forget to join us next week when we review the dark fantasy RPG, Awaken.